listening to a podcast from the National. Muqtada Sadr wants a government that is inclusive of all Iraqis. The Shi'i clerics coalition won the largest number of seats in Iraq's parliamentary elections last week. But he didn't win enough to form a majority. From here, it will take weeks, if not months, of negotiations with different factions to form a government. The clerics' victory comes as a surprise to many. Prime Minister Haider al-Abadi was expected to win, but his bloc finished third. Mr. al-Abadi, who claims ISIL's defeat as his own doing, met with al-Sadr after the election. In a joint statement, they assured the Iraqi people that their government will take care of them. But Mr. Asadr is not a politician. In fact, he has even said he wants no role in the upcoming government. He's managed this victory with a very confusing past. This is Beyond the Headlines. I am Nasal Wesmi, and to bring this man to light and the Iraqi elections, I am joined by two of my colleagues. Mina al-Durubi is an Iraqi-British reporter at The National who has been covering the Iraqi elections. Campbell McDarmond is an editor on the Foreign Desk. He has spent many years living and reporting in Iraq. To start off, is this victory a surprise? It does come as a surprise because I don't think anybody expected uh, Muqtada al-Sadr, you know, the leader, the once leader of the Mahdi army, to be coming ahead of the internationally favored Haider Abadi, who is the prime minister at the moment. But... Al-Sadr has led these uprisings uh, that, have been, that have been going on since 2015. And he's sort of been the first man to stand up and to sort of um, form this uprising against uh, corruption. And he's the first Iraqi to speak up uh, about this. So I think on, on, this, on this term, that wasn't surprising because if you look at the results, uh, you know, he won the majority of seats in Baghdad because of these anti uh, anti-austerity protests that he uh, that he formed in Baghdad. But also we need to think about the next leader that came in second after Al-Sadr, who's Hadi Al-Amri. He won um, 48 seats and the results were very close to Sadr's uh, coalition. Sadr won 54 seats. And in the south of Iraq, it was very close uh, results between Fatah and, and um, Sa'irun. Campbell, Muqtada al-Sadr is a bit of a political chameleon. Have his stances changed since his days of issuing fatwas against the U.S. in 2003? I think most of the people I speak to who have, you know, close to him to an extent, I would say that he has undergone something of perhaps an evolution. But, you know, that's also uh, true of the entire, you know, context in Iraq. You know, so uh, the situation today is, you know, a lot different from, uh, you know, back in 2006, 2007, you know, sectarian war, Mahdi army being involved in uh, sectarian killings of uh, Shia Iraqis. But a lot of its principles appear to have uh, remained the same. So while he does seem pragmatic, you know, he still says he's, you know, opposed to uh, American troops being in Iraq, um, although he does say he's anti-invasion and not anti-US as a whole. Um, so, it, you know, he has said in interviews that he wants to have good relations with uh, his neighbors and uh, you know regional powers. Mina, it's a bit confusing. His party won, but Muqtada Sadr doesn't want to become a politician. Can you explain that? Muqtada Sadr comes from a powerful family. Both of his father and uncle were assassinated for their defiance of Saddam Hussein's regime. 
and he's also led uprisings against U.S. forces um, and is one of the only candidates to distance himself from Iran. Now, um, the Shi- he's, he's like Campbell said, he's sort of transformed himself from this militia leader fighting uh, U.S. forces after their invasion, and then he's leading sort of vast protests against the current government. Now, he doesn't believe in being a political leader. So now he has to choose the next candidate to become prime minister. And that all depends on uh, the next coalition, the the coalition formations that are in process at the moment. But the bottom line is, he doesn't believe in being a political leader. And he's more of a sort of a religious leader. How did he win, Campbell? What are your thoughts on why he won at this time? Does it reflect any particular grievance of the uh, Iraqi people? Certainly. I mean, the, what, what he was campaigning for was um, you know, on a platform of, of targeting corruption. But he, of course, wasn't the only uh, political party saying they were going to tackle corruption. And you know, if, if you look at their sort of policy announcements, a lot of what the political parties say is quite similar you know, they all say they're going to t- tackle corruption. You know, they all say they're going to bring development and uh, improve infrastructure and services. And um, they've all uh, toned down on uh, some of the sectarian rhetoric that they you'd hear in the past. In a way, it's, he he didn't necessarily he didn't do spectacularly well in comparison to uh, you know the uh, last set of elections in Iraq. But what you did see was a lot more people staying home. Um, so a lot of uh, Iraqis I spoke to didn't really have any faith in the uh, political process and this um, batch of politicians on you know standing in this election to actually bring about any change. So you did see a lot of people staying home, uh, whereas Muqtar al-Sadr's followers have remained very loyal. He's able to mobilize them, whether it's to you know um, go to protests outside the green zone um, or you know to get out and vote. Um, so I think that's what he was able to shore up his support uh, to a greater extent than uh, some of the other political um, leaders who you know, lost votes, people stayed home. Absolutely. I mean, I think just going in on Campbell's point, as an Iraqi myself, when, when I speak to Iraqis, whether they're in the country or whether they're um, diasporas, they lost faith in the political system. They don't believe that whoever they're going to elect is going to make the changes that they need and want. So I think that's why a majority of them decided to stay home and decided to not vote. Just to go on that point, it seems that the the Prime Minister Haider Abadi was quite effective in, in, in his role. He uh, claims responsibility for defeating ISIS and among other victories. He did not fare well. Not to take the conversation away from Muqtada Sadr, but how is he going to factor in to the political shakeup that's happening now? So Abadi won 42 seats and he came in third in the election results. He's he's one of, I would say, you know, Sadr does, he, he's okay with having Abadi as prime minister, as I, th- I think. Um, but I think um, Abadi has, has, he's been riding on his victory horse, you know, he's defeated ISIS, he's, tr- he's tried to transform Iraq's, or re- let's say restore Iraq's relations with the, with the neighboring countries such as Saudi and the GCC. So he's been trying to do many changes and he's he's been doing pretty well compared to the last administration. Um, so I think his uh, what's going to happen to him is going to be dependent on the uh, coalition formations. Zooming out, uh, if we look at the U.S.'s relations with Iraq, 
you know, with Sadr's past of issuing a fatwa and not supporting an American presence in Iraq. How does the U.S. feel about this, uh, especially since Sadr was so opposed to the invasion in 2003? Yeah, I mean, they'll certainly be trying to figure out whether they can work with him. Um, but, you know, he, he's been in uh, government before, you know, so he supported a Maliki to reform a government in 2014. So it's not like he's this uh, total outsider who's, you know, for the first time, you know, active on the political scene. Maybe uh, it wasn't quite the result that the U.S. would have liked. You know, they, they picked uh, Abadi back in 2014, you know, along with Iran also, you know, gave approval for him. So I think, you know, the U.S. certainly would have liked and, you know, they made it known that Abadi was their preferred candidate to run um, Iraq again. Um, but they may take some solace in the fact that, you know, it could have been worse. It could have been uh, Amari or Maliki who came out strongest, you know, candidates who were actually a lot more closely lined aligned with Iran. So, you know, it's it's maybe not the outcome they wanted, but it's probably not the worst outcome they could have uh, foreseen as well. When it comes to the GCC and Saudi Arabia in particular, Mina, uh, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman met with Muqtada Sadr this year leading up to the elections. Does that hold any significance in the future of Iraq or Iraqi-Saudi relations? Yeah, of course. I mean, Riyadh and Baghdad only restored di- diplomatic relations in 2015 after 25 years of cutoff. And the improved relations has surprised many, given the scale of the Iranian influence in the country. Now, Muqtad al-Sadr, who's distanced himself from Iran, um, he's taken the lead in, in, in the elections and he's sort of going to be the next um, kingmaker in, in, in Iraq. And it's significant um, because it means that the future ties between Saudi and the GCC will become stronger because whoever's going to be in government will basically distance themselves from Iran, which means it'll give more of a leeway to the to Saudi and GCC. And also another thing, I mean, Sa- Saudi-Iraqi trade has, has reopened. The border has been opened and there's a lot of plans for Iraqi-Saudi trade um, and economy. So that means their relationship will be basically stabilized and, and they'll be much closer. This is this is what I don't understand. He went in exile uh, to Iran for a number of years. I believe it was three years uh, in the 2000s. But somehow now he opposes Iran's influence. Can you explain this, uh, Campbell? So I think if you take him at face value, um, you know, what he says, he's he's an Iraqi nationalist. And uh, he said in interviews that he's not particularly you know, anti-Iran or anti-anyone. He's, uh, you know, happy to receive, you know, for... Um, to have good relations with the, with Iraq's neighbors, he just doesn't want them interfering in the country. And um, when you look at the reason why he he went to Iran, that was back in uh, late two thousand and seven, early two thousand and eight. And at that time, uh, you know, Maliki, when he was prime minister, had ordered the Iraqi security forces to crack down on the Mahdi army. And there was an arrest warrant which had been out for uh, Muqtad al-Sadr for some time. So he he went into sort of voluntary exile because the heat in Iraq was getting to be a bit much for him at that time. Um, and he went on, he studied towards becoming a, an Ayatollah in Qom. Um, but, you know, th- th- there wasn't a sense that he was going there to sort of cozy up to the Iranian government in order to take money or weapons to come back and, you know, with increased power. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, perhaps Iran, you know, would have liked to be able to influence him more. And maybe that's a little bit why he uh, maybe doesn't have the... Uh, the best relationship or the closest relationship with Iran because he hasn't accepted, you know, money or weapons from them. But I mean, does is his constituency do they share the same values that he does, or are they more Iran Tehran leading? 
uh, leaning than than he is. So if you read some of what his um, followers say, that they follow him. Um, so you know, I was reading a piece by Jane Arif in the Christian Science Monitor from a few years ago um, about Sutter's supporters. And you know, you've got one of these guys in Sutter City, which is this kind of rundown neighborhood of Baghdad where a lot of his followers come from. And you know, what he was saying about um, Sutter was, you know, if he says, you know, we die, we die, we live, we live. You know, they, they will we'll follow him. So I think that's um, basically um, whatever he says. They will follow. And moving forward, how do these elections factor into, I mean, Iraqi politics? How, how different will the political landscape look now, today, after the results than it did in the last four years or last eight years? So although Mr. Sadr's marching towards reform alliance was the biggest winner in the parliamentary elections, it fell short of a majority. The voter turnout was only 44%, and it's been the lowest since like since Iraq held its first um, election. So I think, you know, the next changes, I mean, I think, like I said, it all depends on the next government formation. A lot of experts say that Sadr's uh, government will bring in some Sunni and Kurdish groups, and to some extent it will bring in the Fatah bloc, which is led by Hadi al-Amri. But I think Sadr's main um, sort of focus will be to sideline Nouri al-Maliki's state of law coalition, the, the former prime minister, uh, who is very, very close, who is a very close ally to Tehran. Sadr's main priority right now is to form a technocrat government, a new government, and to present changes to his supporters. Um, he doesn't mind having Abadi there, but as long as there's new changes that's ha- that are g- going to be happening in the next government. That might be a little bit tricky because um, the interior ministry is led by the Badr organization, which has ties to Hadi al-Amri's Fatah. Um, alliance, and again, which runs back to um, having a huge uh, Iranian sort of like foundation. Mm. So it will be a little bit difficult to change that. But I, I guess the next few weeks, we'll, uh, we, we'll see what exactly will happen. But there's been a lot of predictions that Sadr will form an alliance with, with Haider Abadi, Fatah, like I said, Hadi Al-Amri, and Ammar Al-Hakim's um, Hikmet uh, coalition. The next few days will be telling. Thanks to Campbell and Mina for joining me on this episode of Beyond the Headlines. I'd also like to thank Kevin Jeffers for producing the show. You can find this podcast on our website, www.thenational.ae, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite app. I've been your host, Nasal Wesmi. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.